This is Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. A look inside the biggest and most controversial news stories you need to know now. One of the country's most relied upon law enforcement analysts, Vincent Hill. Hey, good evening and welcome to Beyond the Badge. Today is Tuesday, January the 1st, 2019. That's right. I said it. It is 2019. And I'm sure many of you are recovering from the events, the activities of last night. I'm sure many of you went out, had some adult beverages, if you will, like I partook in a few of those myself. Uh, You know, that's what we do when we're celebrating. We're bringing in the new year. We have a time to reflect on everything that happened in the previous year, 2018. It was a very busy, a very fast year uh, for, I'm sure, many of us. I cannot believe myself. It's already 2019. That means in about nine days, I'll be another year older, 46, God willing. You know, I'm, I'm very grateful for that. There's many, many people that I came up with that are no longer here for various reasons, but I'm thankful that I'm still here. Um, I hope every Everybody had a very, very happy start to the new year. I hope no one went out and did the silly thing and got behind the wheel after they were drinking. You know, there's this thing called Uber. There's this thing called Lyft. There's this thing called a taxi that's been around for hundreds of years. So I hope nobody got behind the wheel after they had been drinking and got on the road because that is not the way to start your new year. You always want to start the new year doing the things that you love, doing the things that will bring you prosperity, doing the things that will bring you satisfaction in your life for the following year, which is why I'm here tonight on New Year's Day to bring you beyond the badge. But I want to take this opportunity to reflect because we always at the end of the year, have those shows that talk about the top stories, the top cases, the top this, the top that. So that's what I want to do here tonight on Beyond the Badge. I want to give you the top five stories of 2018 as voted by yours truly, because it's not like I have a voting staff and polls and all of that good stuff. As voted by yours truly, the top five stories of 2018 as it relates to policing in this country because the show is called Beyond the Badge. So I want to start with number five, and it was a shooting in Florence, South Carolina, where seven police officers were shot. One was fatally shot when they were actually attempting to serve a warrant. And it took place back in October of this year, 28 or last year, I should say, 2018. Uh, seven South Carolina law enforcement officers were shot, one fatally in a confrontation with the man who had held his children hostage as he fired on the officers. Now, the brunt, the backstory, the officers showed up around 4 p.m. to the guy's home. They were attempting to serve a warrant. And, you know, I've always said, I've said it countless times on this show, when people don't want to go to jail, they will do stuff to make sure they don't go to jail or to at least attempt to make sure they don't go to jail. So uh, this guy obviously knew police were coming. He had a warrant. Police show up. They approach the house. He fires upon those officers. 
other officers arrive to try to help those officers, and he shoots at those officers, actually killing one of those police officers. Uh, they actually had to get a bulletproof vehicle to rescue the wounded and deceased officer uh, after about a two-hour standoff. The man finally gave up and was taken into custody. Now, not only did he have to deal with that outstanding warrant they were attempting to serve, now, of course, the murder of a police officer, the attempted murder on six other police officers. So this guy had a very bad day, if you will. More importantly, the officers involved in that had a very bad day. And I always say, nothing is routine in policing. No officer leaves the house with the guarantee that they're going to come home. Obviously, this officer in Florence that lost their life that night back in October did not leave the house with the intention of not coming home. So it just goes to show you how things in the split second can go from zero to oh shit, just like that. So in one day, seven police officers in Florence, South Carolina, were shot, one killed. Let that sink in. One incident at 4 p.m. in the afternoon where kids are usually getting out of school, people are getting off work, shifts are changing at jobs. During that time, in broad daylight, if you will, seven police officers were shot and one killed in one incident. That is a lot. I mean, if you if you think about it, when people say mass shootings, it has to be more than two or three people that were shot. Would you consider this a mass shooting? I definitely would consider this a mass shooting. But of course, the mainstream media did not, um, you know, report on this as as much as I thought they they would have. You know, if the roles were reversed and it was this guy just shooting seven random people in South Carolina, I think that it would have been covered as a mass shooting. We would be hearing the debate about gun control, mental health. We'd be hearing all these debates that we've always heard over the uh, past few years when it relates to mass shootings. But since it was just seven police officers, which still meets the criteria of a mass shooting, by the way, it didn't get the coverage it deserves. And, you know, unfortunately, that's tragic. But that was in Florence, South Carolina. So that I consider number five. And that's pretty big if you think about it. So, wow, what the heck is number one? Because we're talking about seven police officers being shot and killed or shot and one being killed. What the heck could be number one? How do you top that? Well, you got to wait. Now, I want to transition to number four. And this would have been higher on the list, but there's another case that I have at number two that we'll talk about here just in a bit. Now, number four, Dallas, Texas. You probably remember this. This was September 6th of 2018. Uh, Police officer Amber Geiger was returning to her apartment. She parks on what she believes her floor of the parking garage she goes into what she believes is her apartment and this is where things take a wild turn she says she gets to the door the door is partially open again she believed it was her apartment she had worked a 12-hour shift 
She enters. She sees a silhouette, a large silhouette in the apartment. She says she gives commands, and then she fires. Uh, well, come to find out, it wasn't her apartment. She calls 911, saying she had shot someone. Uh, that 911 call has not been released for obvious reasons. We'll get to that here in a second. She calls 911. Uh, come to find out, Bolton John was shot and killed, and it was actually his apartment. Now, initially, she was uh, charged with manslaughter. Of course, the the grand jury came back with an indictment of first-degree murder. So she's awaiting that trial right now. Now, of course, this case got a lot of national attention because Amber Geiger is white, Bolton John is black, She's a police officer. He's an unarmed black man. So it definitely fit the narrative that the mainstream media wanted to go with. Now, we talked about this case on this program before. When you look at the search warrant um, and the evidence recovered from the apartment, it could appear that maybe she did believe she was in her own apartment. Her police bag was inside the door just off to the left. Typically, when you come in and you have your bag, you drop it to the left or you drop it at the door. That's what I used to do when I'd come in with my um, with my gear after a shift. Uh, you know, of course, the family was upset because they say they found marijuana in the house and they're trying to victimize the guy. Not necessarily. They're doing a search warrant because it was an active crime scene and they have to identify the things that were recovered in that search warrant. That's how it goes. That's why it's called a search warrant. You're looking for evidence. So, of course, they're going to search the home because they're looking for shell casings and everything else. All right. So. I mean, I don't know how I feel about this case. Could it, could she have thought it was her apartment? Well, her apartment was directly uh, below his. So, you know, if you, if you ever lived or if you've ever seen those apartments where everything looks identical and like if you're in 1313, apartment 1313, the person below you is 1213 and 1113. And I use that as an example because that's how my apartment is set up. If maybe you're, you know, discombobulated from a 12 hour shift, you've had a long day, you park, you get in this routine. A lot of people are not understanding. You get in a routine of parking in a certain spot. I park my car in the garage in the exact same spot every time, right? You get in a routine, you're thinking you're just going through the motions, you're doing what you think is based on muscle memory, you go into an apartment that you think is yours. Could it happen? Absolutely. Is there more to the story? We don't know. I, I, I truly don't believe it was a case of this white officer wanting to do harm to this unarmed black male who she happened to live in the apartment building with. Now, this is not a traffic stop. This wasn't a case of he was resisting arrest and she had to use deadly force. So as much as people want to put race into this, I don't think... In fact, I'll go out on a limb and say, I'm sure this is not what that case was about, because how do you prove that? Again, this is a guy who lived just right above her. I'm sure in some passing, they've come across each other. 
uh, you know, living in that same apartment complex. So, you know, unless, you know, the the prosecution can come out with with, you know, texts and emails between the two where they were having this love triangle or something like that. And, you know, they can say that, yeah, because he was breaking up with her, she went in and did this whole thing and made it appear that she went into the wrong apartment. I really don't see how you can say this was intentional. Now, I personally believe, you know, when they indicted her back December 1st on murder instead of manslaughter, of course, that was to appease the public, appease the community. But I think that can come back to backfire on them. And I think back to George Zimmerman, Trayvon Martin, when Benjamin Crump and all those attorneys kept pushing for murder and murder and murder. I kept saying that is such a hard pill to swallow, such a hard case to prove, stick with the manslaughter. And when they didn't, George Zimmerman walked free. He was acquitted of murder. It had nothing to do with race, had nothing to do with the fact that Trayvon Martin was black. It had everything to do with the prosecution could not prove their case. So I personally think that the prosecution, the grand jury in this case, may be overstepping what they think they can get out of this. Maybe they're basing this on, well, she's a white police officer. He was an unarmed black man, so we can definitely get a murder conviction. That is a hard pill to swallow. You have to be able to prove your case. Uh, so I'm sure that case will that will go to trial sometime uh, this year, maybe even next year, you know how these things take. You know, you got this, you got reschedules, you got everything that it takes to get a trial to court. So I'm sure as soon as it goes to court, I'll be watching it. I'm sure many of you will be watching it, and I'll be giving you my analysis on it. Now, number three, Chicago. Chicago is always in the news, especially on Beyond the Badge. Uh, you know, all the problems that that city has. Uh, with their violence, their gun violence, the murder rate, uh, the mayor, <laughs> everything else. Um, but back in October, uh, Jason Van Dyke, a former Chicago police officer, was indicted. Well, he was indicted uh, earlier this year, but he was convicted of second degree murder and 16 counts of aggravated assault for the shooting death of Laquan McDonald. Now, the background, back in 2014, I believe, Laquan McDonald was armed with a knife. It's captured on dash cam. He's going down the street. He's walking with the knife. You can clearly see the knife in his hand. Uh, Within six seconds of Van Dyke showing up, he gets out of his car, approaches Laquan McDonald, shoots him 16 times. Uh, Of course, he dies there on the scene. Now, Jason Van Dyke stood trial for that murder. He says that Laquan McDonald was approaching at him, advancing at him to, with the knife, and tried to get up after he was on the ground. That's clearly not what the dash cam video showed. I shared my thoughts on the case with that, you know, looking at that dash cam video hundreds of times as I did. I don't see what Jason Van Dyke testified to during his trial. Uh, Obviously, the jury didn't see it as well. They convicted him of second-degree murder, 
and 16 counts of aggravated assault. Now, many people have said this was a historic victory, a historic victory for the black community as it relates to white officers killing black men. I will have to disagree 100% because, A, every circumstance is different. You can't lump every police encounter in with Jason Van Dyke. And again, if you haven't watched the video for yourself, go and watch it and see for yourself if you can articulate that Laquan McDonald was advancing and lunging at Jason Van Dyke with the knife as he wrote in his incident report way back in 2014. So I wouldn't say this is a victory for the black community as it relates to white officers killing black men. I will say that the jury actually looked at the evidence and they made their decision. They came up with the verdict based on the evidence. This is not a victory. Every case is different when it relates to police encounters. You can't lump any of them with this one. Just like when you hear Trayvon Martin and you hear white police officers, you cannot lump that together because George Zimmerman was not a police officer. So every case is different. You have to look at the evidence in the case. Now, Jason Van Dyke appeared back in court uh, just a couple of weeks ago, actually. Uh, At the beginning of December, he was asking for a new trial saying that the uh, jury was uh, prejudiced against him, not racially prejudiced, just prejudice against him, uh, you know, based on several factors. And the judge denied that. So Jason Van Dyke will return, I believe, on the 18th of January to find out what his sentence is. Now, just to give you a little idea, remember, he was charged with second degree murder, which could hold 25 to 30 years in prison in the state of Illinois and 16 counts of aggravated assault. And if I remember correctly, each count, one count of aggravated assault could carry up to 20 years in prison. So you're looking at 16 counts times 20 plus the 25 years. You know, I don't know what, you know, the judge may consider as far as first time offender or anything like that. I don't know if the judge will consider that. Yeah, at the end of the day, Jason Van Dyke was acting within his duties. Police did get a call about a male with a knife walking down the street. You do see Laquan McDonald with the knife in his hand. I don't know if the judge will take any of that into consideration when he makes this decision, but I can tell you it doesn't look good for Jason Van Dyke when you're talking about those charges, those convictions, just the second degree murder alone is a lot to uh, to cover, to carry there when you're talking about a conviction. But Jason Van Dyke, so that sentencing again, December, I'm sorry, January 18th, as soon as I know, I will, of course, bring it to you here on Beyond the Badge. Now, number two, this actually happened just uh, outside of Huntsville, Alabama, back on Thanksgiving Day, there was a shooting at the mall. This made national news. Benjamin Crump was on CNN, as he always is, talking about it. Backstory, 21-year-old E.J. 
Bradford Jr. was fatally shot uh, at a mall in Alabama, I believe in Hoover, Alabama, uh, on Thanksgiving night. Now, the backstory is police were working an extra job, as most police do, providing security at the mall. Shots ring out at the mall, so police are already there. They, of course, run to where the gunshots are. They see E.J. Bradford apparently with the gun, and this has been corroborated by witnesses, and even Benjamin Crump himself went on MSNBC and said all they saw was a black man with the gun. So police shoot and kill E.J. Bradford. Now, I believe initially they said it was an active shooter. Uh, Once E.J. Bradford was shot and the threat was eliminated, they said the active shooter situation had been resolved. Now, I believe the day after or maybe a few days later, police came back and said, well, we don't believe that E.J. Bradford was the actual shooter where two people were shot, Um, but he may have been involved in some part of the altercation. Now, of course, again, it made national attention because you have the white police officers shooting the black male. And again, just like I just talked about Van Dyke, you cannot put every case into one Bowl one bucket, if you will. There's a difference here because police were responding to shots fired. They were there on the scene as the shots rang out. This wasn't a dispatch call where they got a description of the shooter and a location of the shooter. They had a split-second decision-making period where they had to, in their minds, eliminate the threat of an active shooter. E.J. Bradford was found with the gun. So, of course, people are demanding these police officers get fired, they get charged with murder, the whole shebang. But each case is different. Different because you have to take into account what the officers were responding to, how they responded, what they saw when they responded. And what they are trained to do when they respond to an active shooter, which is what they thought it was in that exact moment. Now, I've said this when I talked about this case. Was it an active shooter situation as in some random guy comes off the street, starts shooting a bunch of people? No, it was at an urban mall that the the fight started as a verbal then a physical, and then people pulled out guns, which we see all the time across this country. So it wasn't an active shooter in the sense of some random guy coming off the street and just blasting people. I get that. But when police hear gunshots, their job is to protect and serve the public. And part of that protection is eliminating the threat. So when you come around the corner and you see a guy with a gun just seconds after you've heard shots and you see people running and you see two people shot, in your mind, that is the threat. In your mind, that is the threat. Now, his family said, oh, he was a veteran. Well, he went to basic training. He failed out of basic training. I thank him for his service, though. I really do. He was a veteran. He wouldn't do this. That's not his character. All of this other stuff. But to that, I say this. When I come around that corner and I see you with the gun, I don't know if you're a veteran. I'm not asking if you're a veteran. I don't know your character. I'm not asking your character. 
I'm not asking your mama's name, your daddy's name, what you did for Thanksgiving. I'm not asking any of that because all I know is I just responded to shots fired and I see you holding a gun as I come around the corner. So when do I have time to figure out if you're a veteran, if that's your character or anything like that? I don't have that time. So, again, you know, uh, Benjamin Crump, his family, uh, all of these civil rights groups are asking that this these officers get fired and they demand justice and, you know, all the stuff we've heard time and time again. But, yeah, at the end of the day, were those police officers being egregious in their actions? No, they were not. Did they wake up that day to go out and kill a black man? No, they did not. The only thing that they did, they responded to shots fired within seconds, and they found E.J. Bradford to be armed with the gun. Now, that is number two. So, the number one story of 2018, again, as voted by me, Vincent Hill, is the number 52 now, you may be asking, what what the heck is 52? Well, number five, at the number five, I talked about the seven police officers that were shot, one that was fatally shot back in October in Florence, South Carolina. 52 is the number of police officers shot and killed in the line of duty in 2018. 52. Now, you have to ask yourself, of these 52, how many of the names have you heard in the mainstream media? Now, unless you watch Fox News, because I appreciate the fact that Fox News will report on an officer when they are killed in the line of duty, especially by gunfire. Ask yourself, when have you heard of these 52 names in the mainstream media? I can answer that for you. Chances are you haven't. Now, then ask yourself if that number 52 was of people that were killed by police officers. Well, correction, 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 correction. If the number of black people killed by police officers was 52, because I can assure you there are over a dozen, two dozen white people that were killed by police in 2018 that you never heard of. But anytime, as number two on this list, an E.J. Bradford is shot and killed by police or a Michael Brown or an Alton Sterling, you hear about that name. You see people kneeling for those names. You see shirts you see hashtags, you see movements for those names and those numbers. But yet in 2018, 52, 52 officers shot and killed in the line of duty and nobody says anything about it. Now, to give you an idea of why I'm so upset about this 52, last year, that number was 45. So if I do the math, that's seven more than the previous year of officers shot and killed in the line of duty. 
So, what is going on here that it's okay for officers to be shot and killed in the line of duty and it not make a difference? But yet, if police are doing their duties and they have to use deadly force, now I'm going to exclude Jason Van Dyke in that I talked about Jason Van Dyke on this list. I'm going to exclude that because, again, I've watched that video and I can't articulate what he said, but I can articulate an E.J. Bradford shooting. I've said I can't say I would have acted any differently had I been that officer there on the scene just seconds after shots fired. So why is it okay for police to just die senselessly But if someone else dies while police are doing their duties, it's a big problem. And I I saw something on like Instagram or or something. uh, And there's an actor. I can't remember who it is. Oh, Kerry Washington, the actress. I I, I love her work. I I do. But I believe it's Kerry Washington. But anyway, there's this play out where... uh, She's talking about how police need more training. I can't remember the name of it right now, uh, but I I saw it in my feed the other day. I was like, really? Police need more training? Well, what about these people that killed 52 police officers? Do they need more training? Do they they need more training, remedial training? Do they need, uh, you know, the kinder, gentler criminal training that you guys are trying to give police because you say they're too aggressive they're too this you know think think about this in 2015 41 police officers were shot and killed in the line of duty in 2017 i believe 64 were shot no in 2016 64 police officers were shot and killed in the line of duty so year over year that number either maintains or gets higher it either maintains stays level or it gets higher so the top story for me in 2018 is that 52 brothers and sisters in blue lost their lives to gunfire and it didn't even make the mainstream media i guarantee nobody can quote those even five of those names, let alone 52 of those names. You know, we do here on Beyond the Badge, we do our officer down 10-7 segment at the end of the show where we actually honor the fallen officers. But I guarantee nobody can name these 52 names. I promise you that because it doesn't fit the narrative. And that is the top story of 2018 on Beyond the Badge. It doesn't fit the narrative. So why would the mainstream media give a crap about 52? Wouldn't fit the narrative. Well, that is it. The top five stories of 2018 as voted by yours truly. I want to thank you so much for listening again. I think every I hope everyone had a very happy new year. Let's kick this year off right. Go out and get whatever your goal is. Don't let anything or anyone stand in the way of that because only you, 
only you and, of course, the power of prayer can determine your destiny. Nobody on this earth can stop you from achieving what you want if you truly want it. Now, of course, I did allude to my 10-7 segment tonight. I want to honor Detective Deidre Mandengott, Louisville Police Department, end of watch, Monday, December 24th, 2018. Detective Mendengott was killed when her patrol car was struck by an impaired driver while conducting a traffic stop on I-64 between 4th Street and 6th Street in downtown Louisville just after 2 p.m. Let that sink in. 2 p.m. This drunk driver was out on the street. Her vehicle was stopped in the right lane with the emergency equipment activated when it was struck from behind by a Metropolitan Sewer District tractor trailer. The patrol car was pushed into the vehicle. She had stopped and became engulfed in flames with her trapped inside. The driver of the tractor trailer was charged with driving under the influence and the murder of a law enforcement officer. She had served with the Louisville Police Department for seven years. She is survived by her young son. She was 32 years old. Uh, so just think about that. 2 p.m., this officer's out on what people would say routine traffic stop. Those three words are more, more confusing and more overused than other three words. I love you. Routine traffic stop. I've said it countless times. There's nothing routine in policing, especially a traffic stop. You don't know the dangers, not only of what's in the car, who's in the car, but who is coming up behind you, what vehicles are approaching. And this is just proof right there. This officer, this young officer lost her life at two o'clock on Christmas Eve. And it said she's survived by her young son who did not get to see his mother on Christmas Day. I want to thank you for listening. Let's make 2019 great. I'll be back same time, same place next week, right here, RadioInfluence.com. Good night. To continue the conversation, get updates on the show, and to find out when you can see him on television, follow Vincent on Twitter at Vincent Hill TV. That's at Vincent Hill TV. This has been Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. I'm Jerry P. Tuck, CEO of Radio Influence. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for downloading and subscribing to this podcast. There are a lot of people behind the scenes here at Radio Influence that work hard to keep you entertained day in and day out. If you'd like to get involved and advertise on this program, or you have some show ideas that you'd like to see us add to the Radio Influence family, please email us at contact at radioinfluence.com. We all have crazy schedules, so the fact that you took time out of your busy day to let us entertain you for a while means a lot. Without you, the listeners, we wouldn't exist. So thank you again for downloading and subscribing to this show. Don't forget to check out RadioInfluence.com to see what other shows we also have to offer. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com. <laughs>